0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from
1: Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
0: On today's program, we discuss a BBC investigation that calls into question some of the so-called child rescues in West Africa initiated by the International Justice Mission, IJM. Also, financial troubles continue to plague Christian publisher David C. Cook. We'll have details. And we'll take a look at the latest state measures that could undermine donor privacy.
1: We begin today with news of popular worship leader Matt Redman. He took to social media last week saying that he and his wife had both suffered what he called harmful behavior and mistreatment by UK pastor Mike Pilavanchi.
0: Matt Redman and Pilavanchi co-founded a ministry together back in 1993, 30 years ago, called Soul Survivor. It began as an evangelistic festival and camp for teens and eventually morphed into a network of churches over the next three decades.
1: And now Pilavanchi is being accused of abuse or mistreatment by more than 100 people.
0: That's right, the Church of England's national safeguarding team launched an investigation in April into Pillavachi's behavior. The church where he pastored was sole survivor Watford, and they had been mostly silent on the accusations up until that point. But during the investigation, he agreed to step back from church responsibilities, and then in May, the church suspended him. Last week, he resigned altogether.
1: In his announcement, Redmond said that he spent years trying to fully heal from his time at Soul Survivor. He said he and his wife had addressed Pilavanchi's behavior with leadership, but that he was ignored, patronized, or gaslit.
0: He says the harm was wide-ranging, everything from physical to psychological to spiritual, although Redmond didn't go so far as to call it abuse. Other reports describe allegations against Pillavachi that range from emotional abuse to the grooming and sexual harassment of young men. His church, sole survivor Watford, also suspended two other pastors, Senior Pastor Andy Croft and Assistant Pastor Ali Martin, over how they handled the abuse allegations prior to the National Safeguarding Team's investigation.
1: Or in our next story is the latest in a string of lawsuits filed by or against former megachurch pastor Stovall Weems.
0: Yeah, the story of Stovall Weems and his former church, Celebration Church of Jacksonville, Florida, has been a pretty steady affair on the Ministry Watch website for the last six or eight months, and it has taken yet another turn. Weems and his wife Carrie filed a lawsuit on July 12th against the Association of Related Churches, or ARC, claiming that the leaders of ARC masterminded to destroy the couple and take over Celebration Church for their benefit, which included expanding their church growth business interest and effectively gaining control over operations and substantial
1: assets. The couple is seeking more than $75,000 in damages, claiming they were framed for financial crimes they did not commit. That destroyed their reputation and ultimately led to their dismissal from Celebration Church.
0: Weems resigned from Celebration Church back in April after the church suspended him. It suspended him because of allegations of financial misdeeds that involved church money. The week following Weems' resignation, the church released findings of an investigation that they had initiated into his behavior. Uh, the accusations in that uh, report ranged from Weems leading the church to the brink of insolvency to creating a culture of fear and intimidation among church staff. In the past year, Weems has been named as a plaintiff or a defendant in five different lawsuits.
1: In our next story, we check in again with Christian publisher David C. Cook, an organization we've covered regularly for the past few years because of its size and importance to the Christian publishing world and because of its ongoing financial troubles.
0: And those troubles seem to be continuing. David C. Cook is a Christian publisher founded in 1875. Uh, It began 2023 with a destructive building flood back in January and recently announced a new chief operating officer amid continuing leadership changes, income struggles, and
1: declining assets. A massive flood occurred after a boiler on the top floor burst causing extensive damage throughout the building.
0: In July, Cook veteran employee Jana Zachman uh, was named its chief operating officer, and she will uh, lead the team's finance, IT, warehouse, and distribution divisions. Zachman is a veteran of David C. Cook. She joined the organization in 2003 and has since worked in accounting and financial management and served in various other positions, including as associate publisher and business director of curriculum, the VP of financial operations, the VP of operations and analytics, and senior VP of services and innovation. The COO announcement was made by Rick Reckedal, who was named Cook's president and acting CEO back in February. He is the third person to handle Cook's CEO duties in the past three years.
1: A former executive with DreamWork Animation, Recadal joined Cook in December 2022 as its chief creative officer and was named president two months later.
0: Now, the previous CEO, who was called a business visionary when he was named, he was a former Walmart executive named John Aiden. He was named the CEO in September of 2021 following an extensive nationwide search, but he didn't last two years there. Aiden had succeeded longtime CEO Chris Dornbos, who had served as a CEO of Cook from 2005 to 2021. Dornbos claims that his tenure was known for successfully reimagining, reinvesting, and reinventing David C. Cook. But his tenure led to significant losses, which were covered by drawing down on David C. Cook's significant assets accumulated over the previous century. When Dornbos joined Cook, for example, it had more than $100 million in assets. Its assets now total less than $50 million.
1: Cook has seen its share of good news. Two of its books recently became nationwide bestsellers, Natalie Runyon's Raised to Stay and Ryan Clark's God's Not Like That.
0: And Cook's Integrity Music Division now has 1 million YouTube subscribers. Uh, Subscriptions are free, but its numbers do allow the ministry to receive advertising revenue. And, Natasha, in a spirit of full disclosure, we should probably say that you and my daughter, Brittany Smith, have published a book, Unplanned Grace, with David C. Cook.
1: That's right. Well, up next, according to the Public Access uh, to Court Electronic Records, or PACER, Wisconsin-based Church Mutual Insurance is a defendant in 26 open cases filed just this year, with about 43 cases open and shut filed since last July. Church
0: Mutual Insurance does have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. It says that it's the top insurer of religious and human services organizations in the U.S. The company's clients include secular businesses, but Church Mutual largely focuses on religious institutions, nonprofits, and churches. Senior Vice President, Secretary, and General Counsel Michael M. Smith told Ministry Watch that the number of claims was due to recent hurricane activity in Louisiana. Of the 43 cases filed against Church Mutual within the past year, 11 of them are in Louisiana courts.
1: Another insurance company exclusively focused on churches and ministries, often compared as an alternative to Church Mutual, is Brotherhood Mutual.
0: Brotherhood is embroiled in less than half the number of lawsuits, but we should note that it is also only about half the size of Church Mutual. And since last June, Brotherhood has had eight cases filed against them in 2023, and a total of 18 since uh, the previous July. Insurica is a ministry-focused insurance broker nearly the same size as Church Mutual. It has no lawsuits filed against it within the last two years, and five suits uh, going back to 2016, according again to PACER. And Shurica covers most of the southeast, but does not provide services to Louisiana, Georgia, or the Carolinas, states which have many hurricane-related claims. Ministry Watch contacted most of the plaintiffs on PACER's list from cases filed within the past year. Several of them did reply, saying that they either signed non-disclosure agreements or could not discuss details since they were still involved in litigation with Church Mutual.
1: Warren, we need to take a break. But when we return, a BBC investigation uncovers two troubling cases in Ghana where children were wrongly removed from their homes and their families were wrongly accused of child trafficking. Both instances related to the Ministry International Justice Mission. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break.
0: Hey everybody, Warren Smith here taking a break from the podcast, just to let you know that we're going to be making uh, some minor changes to the podcast in the uh, weeks ahead that I think you're going to like. Uh, We have been seeing other publications doing audio versions of their stories, and we thought we'd like to give that a try. So we're going to take some of our most popular stories at Ministry Watch, probably the ones that get the most page views, and we're going to uh, record audio versions of them and start dropping them into the podcast feed. So we'd love to have your feedback. Let me know if they're helpful to you, if you find them valuable, or if honestly you just find them to be cluttered. We want to know either way. So be on the lookout for those new podcast episodes and I'll be on the lookout for your feedback. Now, let's get back to the program.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Up next is the story we promised before the break. It's the story of International Justice Mission, one of the largest anti-human trafficking organizations in the world.
0: A report by the Africa Eye section of the BBC claims to have discovered documented cases where children were traumatically and unjustly removed from their homes and their relatives were wrongly prosecuted as child traffickers. The cases have ties to work by International Justice Mission, a U.S.-based anti-human trafficking group that was started in 1997 and claims to have protected more than 10 million vulnerable people from violence worldwide.
1: The first case took place in a small village in northern Ghana in September 2022. According to the report, Ghanaian police officers sped into the village after midnight and forcibly removed four children and arrested two of the children's uncles.
0: The children were separated from their families for more than four months and eventually reunited, but only after Ghanaian social services determined that the children had not been trafficked. Charges against the arrested uncles were also dropped and their names were cleared. According to the BBC account, IJM said its mission had successfully relocated the four children with their fathers to a safer location. However, an undercover reporter placed within IJM claimed that internal communications indicated that IJM staff knew that there were no elements of trafficking in this case, which was called the Operation Hilltop case.
1: But IJM disputes the reporting.
0: Yeah. In the Hilltop case referred to by the BBC, IJM said it was fully transparent with police, providing them with the facts about the case, including that there was one likely case of child trafficking, and three others that were not clear. IJM went on to say that any missteps in this case were therefore the fault of the police. The police conducted their own investigations, determining there was sufficient evidence before proceeding with the operation. And following information gathered on the operation, police filed trafficking charges against the suspects. This is according to a statement from IJM. IJM Ghana in no way misled the authorities on the facts of the case, they said.
1: The last remaining evangelical Christian college in New York City, King's College, announced Monday, July 17th, to staff and faculty that the school, which has faced dire financial challenges, would not renew many teaching contracts when they end on August 1st.
0: The decision comes after months of public speculation and financial woes that caused the Middle States Commission on Higher Education to suspend the Christian College's accreditation in May, though King's is now appealing that process. Since January, King's has kept students, staff, and faculty on edge, asking for prayer as officials sought to raise $2.6 million to keep the school open. A fundraiser fell short short of that goal, though it did bring in enough money to fund dramatically reduced summer operations and enough staff to try to figure out what the next steps are for the school. King's had been considered a top conservative liberal arts school, often compared to Hillsdale College and Grove City College, other small but influential conservative schools. And I should add by way of disclosure that I served as a marketing and communications consultant to the King's College about a decade ago, and one of my sons is a graduate of the school.
1: The only other evangelical school with roots in New York City, Alliance University, once Nyack College, announced it will close at the end of August.
0: Alliance was notified in June that its accreditation would be withdrawn by the end of this year. The 140-year-old institution primarily served Black, Black, Hispanic and Asian students from the Evangelical denomination, Christian and Missionary Alliance. Its campus in Manhattan's financial district was just a few blocks from the King's College.
1: Or let's look at one more story before we take another break.
0: A federal court in Chicago has unanimously upheld the right of a religious school to make employment decisions that keep in step with its core religious beliefs. The three-judge panel of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago ruled that Roncalli High School, which is a Catholic school in Indianapolis, Indiana, was within its rights to dismiss a guidance counselor who revealed that she was in a same-sex marriage.
1: Back in 2019, the school chose not to renew the contract of the co-director of its guidance department after she told officials at Roncalli of her same-sex marriage in 2018.
0: This went against the school's long-held belief that marriage is between one man and one woman. Shortly after being informed her contract would not be picked up for the new school year, though, she sued the school, claiming that they had violated her rights uh, protected by Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The court dismissed the guidance counselor's claim, though, saying that ministerial exception gives religious organizations and institutions the freedom to determine employee guidelines for workers who have roles that involve any sort of of a ministry aspect to them. The court wrote in their decision that employment discrimination suits are barred when the employer is a religious group and the employee is one of the group's ministers.
1: The ruling this week marks the second time in less than a year that this court has ruled in favor of Roncalli High School in almost an identical set of circumstances.
0: In 2018, the school chose not to renew the contract of another counselor who was also in a same-sex relationship. In both cases, the court sided with the school on the basis that they were exercising control over the selection of those who will personify its beliefs.
1: Warren, we're gonna take another break when we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
0: Hey everybody, Warren Smith here interrupting the podcast once again, just to say thank you for your support of Ministry Watch uh, before our fiscal year in June 30th deadline. We had a very ambitious goal of $25,000. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure we were going to get there, but we did thanks to you. Uh, and uh, we ended up with about $27,000 raised during the month of June. So thanks if you were a donor during the month. If you were not a donor, well, thanks for listening. And, um, you know, we we'll hope you'll consider uh, supporting us in the future. If you decide to do so in the month of July, uh, we'll send you a free copy of my book, Faith Based Fraud, as a thank you gift for your support. Now, let's get back to the program.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Oren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first?
0: Stuart Epperson, Sr., who co-founded one of the largest conservative religious radio broadcasting outlets in the country, Salem, died on Monday, July 17th. He was 86 years old. His death was announced by Salem Media, which Epperson co-founded in 1986 with his brother-in-law, Edward Ad singer, The two built Salem into a radio powerhouse that became a key communication channel for the religious right and a mainstay of the Republican Party. It helped congeal America's religious communities into a potent political
1: force. Epperson was also a member and one-time president of the Conservative Council for National Policy, an influential group whose members include leaders of pro-life organizations, think tanks, CEOs, wealthy donors, pastors, leaders of conservative universities, and right-wing pundits.
0: That's right. And I should say once again, in a spirit of full disclosure, that I was also a member of the Council for National Policy for about a decade. And during that time, I got to know Stu, um, who many of us called Big Stu, in part because he was six and a half feet tall and in part because he had a son, Stu Jr., who was sometimes called Little Stu, though Little Stu was also well over six feet tall
1: himself. He twice ran for Congress in the mid-1980s to represent the 5th Congressional District of North Carolina. He lost to 10-term Democratic Congressman Stephen L. Neal, but he helped to turn the district in a more Republican direction. The district is now solidly red.
0: Salem, the company that Epperson co-founded, owns 101 radio stations in New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, Dallas, and Atlanta, and many other cities around the country. Its eight daily shows host some of the um, most popular religious and political programs in the country. Uh, They include programs by Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Dennis Prager, Charlie Kirk, Sebastian Gorka, and Eric Metaxas. The company is also an outlet for Christian music though it, through its Salem Music Network, which offers three 24-hour Christian music formats. Salem also owns Town Hall, a conservative media site, as well as Regnery Publishing. I should add that in 2005, Time Magazine named Stu Epperson one of its 25 most influential evangelicals in America.
1: Warren, who do we have in the ministry spotlight this week?
0: Hope Center Ministries is an organization that began in 2007 to help both men and women struggling with drug and alcohol addiction to find freedom and purpose with a new life in Jesus. The core of Hope Center Ministries is a one-year program at one of its 46 locations around the United States. It is not a detox service, but admissions coordinators do provide references for such services. Hope Center Ministries is one of the largest ministries of its kind in the United States with revenue of almost $14 million. It also has high ratings from Ministry Watch. We give it a 92 out of 100 as a donor confidence score and a transparency grade and four out of five stars for financial efficiency. Those are good scores all the way around.
1: And who did Christina Darnell feature in Ministries Making a Difference?
0: Well, in the last 15 years since Uversion launched in the App Store, the free app has been downloaded now more than 575 million times. Uversion now reports 95 installs 1,070 verse shares, and 3,200 annotations every minute of every day, according to Lifeway Research. The app has also grown from hosting a Bible in two languages to now 2,000 languages, with goals to feature at least some portion of more than 7,000 languages in the next 10 years. The Lilly Endowment is another ministry that we focused on this week. They awarded a $1.25 million grant to the Assemblies of God to establish its Fostering Faith in Families initiative, focused on equipping parents and caregivers to disciple their children and pass on their faith and values. It will also work to strengthen ministries at, in local congregations. Resources are expected to launch in 2024.
1: Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go?
0: Well, just a reminder that Ministry Watch itself is a donor-supported organization, and if you make a gift during the month of July, you'll receive a copy of my book, Faith-Based Fraud, Learning from the Great Religious Scandals of Our Time, as a thank-you gift. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate button at the top of the page.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Yunat Shimron, Megan Salish-Valley, Kim Roberts, Jessica Adderalde, Steve Raby, Daniel Ritchie, Christina Darnell, and Rod Pitzer. Special thanks to the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.